I'm so glad that you're here tonight. We are here to worship the Lord. Amen. And uh, we started a new series on 1 Timothy. We're going to go through 1 and 2 Timothy. I don't know if we'll go through Titus at this time or not. That's, uh, I gave the introduction to it last week. So you can go on and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm looking forward to this. If you did not hear the message or you weren't here last week, uh, there was a whole lot of information in that first lesson or that first sermon on 1 Timothy. And so I, I would just encourage you to uh, pull it up on the website and listen to it. We don't have that on YouTube. We do have it on our website on audio, and you can listen to it. But uh, the First and Second Timothy and Titus are known as the pastoral, uh, pastoral epistles, and they're directed from Paul, written by Paul, all three of them. And they're written to First and Second Timothy, of course, to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And then Titus was written to Titus, who was the pastor of the church at Crete. And so they're very similar. When you, when you read First and Second Timothy and then Titus, they're all, all very similar. And we talked about last week just basically a theme. And, and there are several themes, but one would be sound doctrine. The importance of the men of God, the ministers of God, uh, preaching and teaching sound doctrine, holding to it themselves, and ministering that and ministering that alone. And then the importance of the hearers, the, the congregation, the people of God receiving that and holding to that as well. And when that's done, you're going to find, we're going to find that, that things are going to be healthy and, and whole in the church for the most part. And so there's a lot of exhortation to sound doctrine in, this, in these epistles. So I want you to read with me, if you would, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 5. And we'll, we'll begin there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables, in endless gene genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in the faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. So I don't know if we'll get this far tonight, but I want you to look back at verse 1. Just the greeting, you know, Paul typically had um, greetings in his, his epistles. He wrote most of the books in the New Testament. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And just, it's important, this is, this is a lesson and a sermon together, okay? And so there's going to be some teaching and, and preaching as well. But that's good. We need to know the Word of God. We need to understand it. And the word apostle means a sent one, one that's sent, okay? But it's not just a sent, sent one that's somebody that's sent out. It's one who's sent with authority to act in the behalf of the one who sent them. Okay, a person sent with authority, with the authority to act in the behalf or on the behalf of the one who is sending them. So Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in one sense, every believer, if you're born again, and you, even if you just got saved yesterday, if you're born again, 
all believers are in one sense an apostle. We're sent by God to do the will of God. But there are very clearly in the Bible we see apostles that were set apart that weren't just, uh, they, weren't, they were set apart even within the body of Christ, okay, for a special task or special mission that God called them to. It also means power of attorney or delegate, okay, a delegate, someone that's sent, again, with authority. And so uh, he says, by the commandment of God. That's important because he's, very, he, he's stressing this, and this is not the only epistle where he says this. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. And he's, what he's saying here is that the Lord has called me to this. The Lord has called me to this. The Lord has made me this. This was not his own doing. He was not a self-proclaimed, self-appointed apostle. Uh, he didn't name himself that. He didn't do it so he would uh, gain recognition for himself. It was by the commandment of God. And we're going to look at the scripture where he was commanded by the Lord to be an apostle. So I'm, if you're taking notes, I'll give the reference. I might go in and read, read the scriptures for time's sake. But uh, in Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, but when it pleased, he's given his testimony here in Galatians, okay? How we, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and God made him, uh, called him to be his servant. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So this was not a, a meeting where people came and said, you know, we think Paul would be a good apostle. There is a place for that. And we're going to look at elders and deacons and so forth. But he's saying this was, this was a calling of God to preach him among the heathen, okay, to preach him among, specifically among the Gentiles. And so as a calling of the Lord, I'll also read this from Acts 9.15. This is Saul of Tarsus' conversion. Why are we talking so much about Paul? Paul is the older minister at this time. Paul is the one that discipled Timothy in the faith and placed him, well, the Lord did it, but God used Paul to do it, to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he's writing these two epistles, First and Second Timothy, to encourage this young pastor in the faith. He knows the difficulties and stresses, I guess you'd say, and heartaches and hardships and attacks of the enemy that were going to come his way. And so he's trying to encourage him. But Paul, in his own testimony in the book of Acts, uh, when he was Saul of Tarsus on his way to persecute Christians, he says, but the Lord said unto him, this was unto Ananias speaking about Paul, said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. This is the Lord. He's an apostle by the commandment of God. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Okay, so uh, it, it, again, too many people, our people sometimes might appoint themselves to be apostles or appoint themselves to be something uh, the only true appointment that really matters is God's appointment. And he was an apostle by the will of God. Amen. And he says, for God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he's appointed. It's important, in, in, even in his greeting, when he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is two names for the Lord. Okay. Uh, two of the three of, of the the triune God are mentioned here, 
in, that's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and God, okay? God the Father. But Paul had a specific ministry to the Gentiles, okay, to the Gentiles. Now, he ministered to Jews. He ministered to uh, his own people, but he had a specific callings to minister and be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'll just read this from Galatians 2.8. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship, apostleship of the circumcision, that was to the Jews, the same was mighty in me for the Gentiles. Okay? And so again, didn't mean he never preached to Jewish people. Obviously he did. We read about it. But he had a calling of God upon his life to be the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the one first to do that. Okay? And so uh, God is first when he says, he says, our Savior, God, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. He is, God is first our Savior, then our Lord. Amen? He's both, but he's first our Savior. And then Jesus Christ is our Lord and we follow him. Amen? And uh, as Savior, he has every right to be called Lord and to be our Lord. Amen? If he has saved us, he has every right to also be our Lord. He purchased us. Amen? And he says, at the end of verse 1, he says, our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So our hope, the only, Christianity is the only uh, religion. There's a lot of things unique about Christianity, but one of the unique things about Christianity, it's the only religion that offers hope beyond the grave. The only one that offers it and then is able to provide it is through Christ. And so the Lord plants hope in the hearts of his people, and he is able to fulfill those hopes. He is our hope. I want to read a couple of scriptures here from Psalm 119. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. I think about this a lot of times. We, we do hope in God, but the Lord is actually the one that causes us to hope. So if you feel hopeless about maybe a, uh, the world today or hopeless about something going on in your life or even in your own life, you feel hopeless uh, the Lord can put hope in you when we put our trust in him. He gives us hope. He says, you've caused me. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. In Colossians 1.27, it says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I thought this was neat. I want to read uh, eight different hopes that are mentioned in the New Testament, it all, all is centered upon Christ and knowing Christ personally. It's all fulfilled in Christ. There's a hope of salvation. There's a hope of righteousness. There's a hope of God's calling. There's a hope of eternal uh, inheritance. There's a hope of God's glory. There's a hope of the resurrection. There's a hope of eternal life. And there's a hope of converts being saved through our lives as well. It's mentioned in the New Testament. It's all centered in Christ. Christ is our hope. The only hope for heaven is Jesus Christ. He's the only hope for heaven. The only hope for all the other blessings of God is Jesus Christ. They're all found in him. They will all be fulfilled by him. And our hope is a blessed hope. The Bible says our hope is a purifying hope. And our hope 
is a comforting hope. Amen. He comforts us and, and strengthens us. So I want you to look, let's go and move to, to verse 2. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 2. Unto Timothy, so we know the author is Paul. The author is the Holy Spirit. He uses Paul as his instrument to, to write it and to send it. Okay. Unto Timothy, that's the, that's the one who receives it. My own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there's, been, there's a little bit of back and forth about when he says, my own son in the faith. Some people say that he is the one that led Timothy to the Lord. Some people say that he took him under his wing and discipled him. We know he did that part for sure. And I don't think it really matters. We do read uh, in the epistles that, that there, the faith that was in him was first in his grandmother and then his mother. Okay? His mother and his grandmother taught him, taught Timothy, young Timothy, the Holy Scriptures. He knew him from a child. It's a wonderful time to learn them, amen? To, to teach your children the Word of God and to learn it yourself from a child to grow up knowing that. It becomes part of you. His Word we hide in our hearts that we might not sin against the Lord. But whether he's the one that he might have taken him and... Maybe, maybe Timothy and his mother and grandmother knew the scriptures. Remember, they didn't have the whole Bible, not by a long shot. By this time, they would have all of the Old Testament, and those scriptures point men to Christ. Men could be saved just from the scriptures in the Old Testament, right? Putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But maybe he had those scriptures, and, and Paul brings and said, Now Christ has come, the one that was promised in the Old Testament. You know who else did that in the, in the Bible? Apollos was a man who was mighty in the scriptures and was actually teaching and preaching and proclaiming up through John the Baptist. It's really amazing to me. He was right on target. He believed God. He believed everything the Bible said. He believed all the way up through John the Baptist. He didn't know anything beyond that. Well, there's a lot beyond that. There's Christ the Lord, born of a virgin, right? Living a sinless life, dying on Calvary for the sins of the world and shedding his blood and rising again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He didn't know all that. Whether it was physical location where he was, he wasn't uh, privy to that. And so Priscilla and Aquila, both a husband and wife that were believers, they heard Apollos preach and they pulled him to the side because he was preaching so wonderfully and correctly. He wasn't preaching false doctrine. He was preaching what he knew. And what he knew was correct. It was just incomplete. Okay? And so they pulled him aside and expounded unto him the scriptures more clearly. And he instantly gets saved, right, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's got the whole picture. He just keeps on and doesn't miss a step. So maybe it was like that with Timothy, that he was at right at that point, and, and Paul brings him more fully in. But either way, we know that he calls him my son in the faith in the sense he wasn't not physically his son, he was his son, and Timothy was Paul's son of the faith, and he took him under his wing and, uh, and discipled him. Remember that uh, he, I think he was 15, about 15 years old when Paul met him in Philippi, actually in, in, uh, in Macedonia, he met him, and uh, in Lystra, I'm sorry. And he took him under his wing, and he was about 
35 years old, so about 20 years later is the writing of this epistle. And he was a worker, a laborer with Paul in the gospel. He visited him in prison. Paul sent him to go minister to the churches on his behalf when he couldn't go himself, okay? And he said he had nobody like Timothy that he could trust to do the will of God completely, okay? So he rejoiced in that. There's nothing like, and if you have never done this, if you've never won somebody to the Lord, pray that God would give you that privilege and that burden to be a soul winner. There is nothing like it. And if you have never then in turn been able to disciple someone that you've won to the Lord, or maybe someone else won them to the Lord, and you're, you're given the privilege of discipling them, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else. It's a wonderful thing and, and an amazing thing to be used by God like that. John says, the Apostle John says in Third John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. No greater joy for the Apostle John. He's not just talking about literally his children, John's children. He's saying that my children in the faith, there's no greater joy in my life than to hear. Get word. How are they doing over here in this church? They're walking in the truth, John. You know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so who you baptized and preached to and won to the Lord, they're doing well. They're doing well in Jesus. They're walking in the truth. There's nothing like it. Amen. And so <clears throat> Paul, uh, Timothy, in turn, had a wonderful testimony. Timothy had a testimony. He was well reported of by the brethren. His, his uh, testimony was that he was faithful to God. He was faithful to Paul. He was faithful to the ministry that God, God called him to. And Paul says to the Philippians, when he was, when he was in prison, it's believed the first time in Rome. And we, we studied Philippians, so we went through all that. Paul was in, Timoth in prison in Rome the first time. He, said, he sent Timothy to them, and he says, But ye know the proof of him, speaking of Timothy, that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. He served with me in the gospel. You know, he's got proof. He's not just well reported of, he's got something to back it up. Amen. He's faith, been faithful to the Lord. All right, so we know this. We know that Timothy was with Paul, just, just according to the scriptures. We're not turning to them all, but we know that Timothy was actually with Paul in the ministry in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Athens, in Philippi, and in Rome. Timothy is mentioned in six of Paul's epistles. And he may have actually been seen him when he was stoned in Lystra. That was Timothy's hometown. We know that Paul was stoned there and left for dead, and God raised him up, and he went, went on and began to minister again. He may have actually been an eyewitness to that. We don't know that for sure. But there was nobody quite like Timothy. He had Silas that ministered with him, John, Mark, Barnabas, Titus, others that ministered, and others that are mentioned that were wonderful men of God and women of God. But Timothy had a special place, a special place in his life, okay? And, uh, and so in all the, the greetings and salutations that, that Timothy, I mean, that Paul writes in the epistles, it's only in these pastoral epistles that he mentions mercy. So look at verse 2 when he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He, he usually would say grace and peace, grace and peace grace and peace. And there's no real explanation other than 
pastors need mercy, amen? He was a young pastor, and Titus was a young pastor. They needed the mercy of the Lord, amen? And so uh, grace, mercy, and peace, he says, from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. That's where these things come from. If you don't have any peace, it's you need Jesus Christ. It's going to come from God. You've seen the bumper stickers, and, and they kind of frustrate me when I see them, but if you want peace, work for justice. There's not going to be any real justice without Christ, and there'll be no real peace without Christ. Sinful men cannot bring about justice, right? They're unjust to start with, and what one calls justice uh, and just and righteous, someone else right next door might say, no, that's unjust. We can't even agree on what's justice, but if we want true justice, then we're going to have to know Christ. I mean, no, no true peace is going to come from the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace, they come from God. Peace is actually, the definition is the binding of two things together. Things that may be estranged before and at odds and divided in their peace, okay? Just like we're reconciled to Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just an outward of a peace treaty where the people still hate each other, but a true reconciliation where two things are, are binded together, are bound together. Amen? And that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is praying this in his greeting for Timothy. Okay? From, he says, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I th thought this was interesting. I've always heard it, but I didn't really have the, the numbers to it. But when he's called Jesus Christ our Savior in verse 1 and Jesus Christ our Lord in verse 2, uh, that expresses the deity of Christ. When he speaks of Christ as Lord, Paul is not speaking of himself as Lord or any other Christian. That's something that's a title just for the Lord, Jesus Christ. He's speaking about him in his deity. But the expression Savior, referring to Christ, Savior, Calling Jesus Savior is found 24 times in the New Testament. The expression calling Jesus Christ Lord in the New Testament, there's 522 times. 24 times he's called Savior. 522 times he's called Lord. He, he, is, he is our Lord. And he must be, if he's your Savior, he is to be your Lord. Amen. And my Lord as well. He died to be both Savior and and Lord. So praise God. That's how he's addressed and spoken of here. So let's look at verse, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. Now this is spoken of in Acts. So we're, we're not going to uh, take time to turn there. But he says there was an occasion when Paul uh, left Ephesus. He told Barnabas and Ephesus to stay there. I mean, Barnabas and Timothy to stay there for a little while, and he went to Athens. That's where he preached on Mars Hill. Not long after he got there, he called for them and sent for them, tell them to come on and catch up with me here, which they did. Uh, when I, and it's believed that he might have written this epistle or these, First Timothy for sure, during that period bet between his two prison stays in Rome. Um, that that, but here's what he charged him. When I, when I besought you to stay still at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other 
doctrine. So here we go. He's speaking about doctrine right off the bat. This is this is a theme. This is a purpose for this uh, these letters. And y'all, nothing has changed in one sense. You know, we're still in that same dispensation since the resurrection of Jesus. You and I today in 2023, we're still in the church age, right? So this stuff is just as much uh, applicable for us as it was for these young men. It wasn't just something personal for them. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for the man of God, right? To, to be instructed and built up and matured in the faith. And so when he's starting right off the bat, saying the charge is that you teach no other, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Evidently, uh, there was already there was already false teachings in this day. We know there were. We know that there were already false teachers. So when you have the, the real and you have real salvation and the real gospel being preached and the real outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a real church and God's really moving, Satan is going to be right around. And he's going to not try to just be right around. He's going to try to get inside. It's very important that you and I as believers that we stand guard and we like uh, watchmen on the wall. We are to be that. That's not our only ministry, okay? But it is a ministry and a very important one for every single person of God, every single young person, man, woman, new convert, old saint, uh, that we stand guard and the, the doctrine has to be sound. There's life that comes out of it. If it's just dead doctrine, your doctrine can be correct and you have it all the check marks in all the right places and you avoid all the fa false stuff and you still personally or an individual or church could be dead. Okay, not really walking in the life of Christ as they should. But having said that, the doctrine has to be sound. The true life in the ministry and what God's doing and wanting to do and what he's saying to his people and what he's warning them against and guarding them against and protecting them, it has to come and arise from sound doctrine, being preached and being received, being preached and being heeded, being preached and being obeyed, being preached and being loved and held on to, okay? The life is going, the true life is going to come out of that. So he says, I, char I charge, told you, that you should charge some, that's people, that they teach no other doctrine, okay? Teach no other doctrine. What's an example? This is not all of Paul's doctrine, but I want to give an example of Paul's doctrine. In Acts 20, Paul was testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This would have been a common denominator. Wherever he preached, Okay, wherever Peter preached, wherever the truth was being preached to these men, testifying both to Jews and to also the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy, when we get there, uh, he charges Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Again, doctrine simply means teaching. It's not just a biblical word. I mean, in the sense that we're using it, it, it is. But doctrine is just teaching. T doctrine is what we believe. What do you believe about God? Do you believe it was born of a virgin? Well, that's doctrine. And that's correct doctrine, okay? Do you believe that there are 
about God that there are many different ways to heaven, not just Jesus. Well, that's a doctrine. That's what somebody preaches and some believe. But is it true biblical doctrine? No, it's not sound doctrine. It's not sound because it's not biblical. It's not sound because it's not rightly divided in the word of God. It's not what's taught. And the Holy Spirit does not bear witness to that. The Holy Spirit says that's a lie. How do I know it's a lie? Well, the Holy Spirit shows me and the word of God shows me. Because the Bible tells me there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus, the word of God says, and even in the Old Testament, the Lord says, look unto me and be saved. Uh, besides me, there's no savior. I am the Lord and, you know, me and I alone. Besides me, there's no savior. So we know that. We know the scriptures and we hold to that. So there's safety in that. If I didn't know that, and somebody that looked very impressive and sounded very impressive told me something contrary to scriptures. If I didn't know the word of God, then I might very well be lured into believing that. And believing that is false. And a false belief is not going to get anybody to heaven or bring them in a right relationship with God. So I can't stress enough, nor can the word of God stress enough, the importance of sound doctrine. What does sound mean? We said it last week. It doesn't only mean orthodox and correct. It does mean that, but it means sound means healthy, wholesome. It's where we get our word hygiene from. So it would be healthy doctrine that you can live by, amen, that's going to be healthy for our lives, all right? And so uh, so look at verse, this is another theme. We're, we're jumping ahead. Look at chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Again, this is a theme. We read it last week. There's not going to be any, uh, any correct behavior. He says that you know how to behave yourself in the house of God. He's not just talking about not chewing gum or, you know, or, or falling asleep in church or cutting up or running around in the church. He's talking about how to act and live and worship and gather in the order and the discipline, the discipline in the church. There's not going to be correct behavior in the church if the doctrine is incorrect. There's not going to be correct behavior as a pattern over the long haul. You watch it and see. If the doctrine is wrong, then there will be other things. There will be fruit of that wrong doctrine. We, we touched on it last week. I'm not going to get into it a lot tonight, but I feel like God would have to mention it as often as the, as. Paul mentioned it to Timothy, okay? If the doctrine is wrong and incorrect, that will pop up and manifest itself in some way in the church. It's not just going to coast along to the end of time and not have any effect on the people, real people. Doctrine is taught to people and believed by people. If I'm taught something wrong and or believe something wrong, and then I begin to propagate something wrong to someone else and hold to something wrong, it will affect my behavior, how I worship God, what I preach to other people, how I give to the things of God, uh, my morals. It's going to affect other things, how I respect authority. You understand? It's going to affect in ways that you may never, wow, I wouldn't have thought that. I've lived long enough to see it myself, 
and also the, the word of God teaches it. I can't stress, if the doctrine is wrong and stays wrong and not repented of and corrected, if the doctrine is wrong, it's preached, it's preached, it's taught in Sunday school, taught, read in books and so forth, and testified of and believed and received, then there will the behavior will be wrong. There will be sins that could accompany that. Somebody gets off on their doctrine that has nothing to do with morality per se, but it could there could be immorality in the church that is a result of that wrong doctrine. It's just that's it's that important. Wholesome, sound, healthy doctrine. And so people believe all kinds of wrong things about the end times or about the deity of Christ. I know of a church that's very popular and they don't believe in the deity of Christ, but they're Christian. They don't believe in the deity of Christ, that he was God in the flesh. Well, he is and was. That's a huge false doctrine, huge. But they're very popular and their music is very popular today in 2023. And their songs are sung in churches all over the place. But uh, the, the belief from the pastor is that God was no, that Jesus Christ in the flesh was not divine. He quotes, not divine. He was just a man in right standing with God in the way that you are as a believer and I am as a believer. That's, that's blasphemy. And yet his, his songs are sung from this church. And you understand what I'm saying? It, it, it matters. It matters. Okay, so... To people that it doesn't matter to, it does matter to God, all right? And it should matter to you and I. To those who say that doctrine is overhyped and overrated, uh, it's probably because they're in wrong doctrine to start with, okay? And they prob their purposes and plans and agenda is not what yours and I, our, our agenda and plans are. We want to stay close to the Lord and walk with the Lord and glorify him on this earth as much as we possibly can. They may very possibly have a different agenda than that. So charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Okay, so there was evidently cheap false teachers already in this day. We know that there were. And uh, this church in Ephesus where Timothy preached later, uh, where he was the pastor, this church had grown... Uh, Paul's the one that established the church. Then the church grew it's, it, under the teachings of Apollos, who we mentioned, and Priscilla and Aquila. The church grew. And then Timothy became the pastor there. And so Paul visited this church. He spent at least three years in this church. On his, uh, on his last missionary journey, he spent at least three years there. You know, it's three missionary journeys. We went out from Jerusalem, or out from the church in Antioch, come back, and uh, we, one, from one stint, he stayed at least three years there and preached. And on the, last, the return from his last missionary years, would go back on the way back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and sent to prison and finally die years later. Uh, he gathered the elders of the church at Ephesus to get together and warned them. They wept. They knew, he said, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And they wept and he encouraged them. And he also said, out of your own selves, they're going to come wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to come in not sparing the flock. And so he's talking about 
false teachers. They're going to come in. How do they appear? They don't appear at first, and maybe for a long time, they don't appear as false teachers, but they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And he's saying, of your own self, out of your people that maybe have walked side by side with you for the last five years in church, they're going to they're going to rise up out of you. False wolves in sheep's clothing that not sparing the flock. Amen. And so he warns them of this. And so this church was a strong church. But I think it's interesting to see uh, by the time we get to the, the book of Revelation that John wrote in about 90 A.D. OK. Uh, this is where the Lord is speaking to the seven churches in Asia. And he's gone to the church at Ephesus. He says this. He says, you've, you've held to a lot of good things and right doctrine. But he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. That's the church at Ephesus. It doesn't have to be that way, but it can be that way. It can be that way that you keep your doctrine straight, but you leave your first love. Could be that the doctrine gets off and you leave your first love. And you end up somewhere where, where God has no desire for you to be. But I'll say this, and we're going to bring this to a close. I'm sorry, y'all didn't realize how late it was. But the devil never stands idly by. He's never going to just stand idly by and watch a church prosper. He is going to try to get in there and to disrupt and to tear down. If he can tear down leadership and bring them into sin and mor immorality, if he can bring division between this this right side, on my right side of the church, and the left side, and us against them, us against them, us against those over there. If he can bring division, uh, I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced it. Many of you have. You actually watch it, and you see it happen, and, and it's Satan getting in, and he can get in through doctrine. And it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to hold to the truth, to sound doctrine. I don't live in fear. I say this over and over and I'll close with this. I don't live in fear that I'm going to be deceived. God's people, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love and a sound mind. I do live with the earnest uh, desire to do what God's word says, and that is to walk in the truth, to study, to show myself approved unto God. And if I do these things and stay in communion with the Lord and watch, and I'm, a, I'm my brother's keeper, and I'm watching to see that you're walking with the Lord as much as I can possibly know. And you're watching each other and watching me. It's not a suspicious watching. It's just a healthy watching. Where, Like if you, wait, where's my little three-year-old? Where'd they run off to? You're going to know where they are at all times, right? It's a healthy watching where we understand that we're all walking together. I don't live in fear of being deceived. I don't live in fear of leaving my first love. I just want to stay close to the Lord. I press in to do what the scriptures tell me and what the Holy Spirit uh, is leading us to do and which we're doing tonight, amen, by gathering and worshiping the Lord and by studying his doctrine. Y'all, I'm going to just close with that tonight. Dee, you can come up. I know, again, that this is more of a, uh, a lesson maybe perhaps in a sermon, but I know it's what the Lord would have us to do. Um, and he wants us to keep our eyes upon him. He wants us to keep looking unto him and don't let a 
either a lost world or a carnal, a backslidden church world that may be around us keep you from doing what's right. You press in to sound doctrine. Press into Christ. And you're going to be healthy and whole when you're in Christ and you're going to be in his word. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to this. The Holy Spirit will never say, do this or reveal something to your dream, vision, whatever. But yet the word of God says, no, something else. One of them is going to be wrong. Well, I can tell you right now what's going to be wrong. My personal dream or vision is wrong. Not always. It can be from God. But if it's from God, it's going to line up with the word of God. That's how we know. I'm not against dreams and visions. Amen. I'm saying if it's from the Lord, it's going to line up with the scriptures. We'll be able to verify it by the rightly divided word of God. Amen. Stay there. There's great joy there. There's great liberty there. There's great safety there as well. Y'all stand with me tonight.